But we are in the second week of a series called Elephants this morning. Elephants are topics the church cannot ignore. Last week we talked about racism, right? Prejudice. I'm so glad some of you were paying attention, all two of you. Um, so we talked about prejudice last week and how prejudice exists in our hearts, not just necessarily racism, but all the kinds of prejudice we happen to have in our hearts towards people that are slow in the grocery store line and single moms and everything under the sun that we can find ways to be prejudiced against. We kind of found a way that, man, perhaps maybe all of us have just a little bit of prejudice in our heart that we need to set before the Lord and ask for repentance and... Um, and forgiveness there. Uh, and so today we are going to talk about addiction, okay? And, uh, and I'm going to start by reading the Word of God. Now, again, when we read last week, there's really um, nowhere in Scripture that you saw the word prejudice, right? And so when we flip open the Bible, there's nowhere in the Bible that I can find the word addiction. And so you think perhaps God can't speak into the problems that we have in culture. Perhaps God doesn't speak about the stuff that we struggle with in our world. But if you take the whole complement of Scripture, you'll find that God has a lot to say about addiction. And we must take that whole complement of Scripture and understand the life that he's calling us to live and how he's calling us to act towards people that are um, enslaved to addictions of various kinds. And, uh, and so if you will, stand with me for the reading of the word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 1 and going through verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5. The heading in, in my Bible says, walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. See, we could just stop right there. When it comes to dealing with addiction, could we not just stop right there and say, imitate God? Walk lovingly towards other people, right? So it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter the struggles that they... Walk in love, period, okay? That'll preach, amen, you are dismissed, right? No. Uh, okay. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It's not proper among the saints. There shouldn't be any filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. They're out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this. Anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who covets, that is, someone who is an idolater, who has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't associate with them. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It is shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's hope right there. So look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of your time, because days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine 
for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit and address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and make melody to the Lord with all of your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. And this is the word of the Lord for you this morning. You may be seated. Pastor, what does that have to do with addiction? Well, you might pick out that one verse in there, right? That says, don't, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's one part of it, okay? But that whole entire passage has to do with how we're called to live a life of holiness. And if we are committed to one thing over Christ, then we are not committed to a life of holiness that he has called us to. We're going to dive into that in a little bit this morning. Now, when you hear the word addiction... What's your first thought? Drugs. drugs, right? And do you have a mental image of someone who's addicted to drugs? Yeah? yeah? Anybody? You don't have to say, but just nod your head yes or no. Okay. Um, I grew up in the era of D.A.R.E. Anybody familiar? Okay. Drug abuse resistance education, right? And I distinctly remember fifth grade. We had the, the police officers come to the, do the drug program in our school, and the dare drug dog, dog the big old, you know, um, I can't remember his name. Darren. Darren, okay, thank you, yeah. Uh, yes, yes. And there were songs that went with this, and, uh, and a whole curriculum, and we were taught to refuse to be part of drugs, right? Because drugs were bad. And people who did drugs were bad. They were criminals, right? All these things that we were, we were taught, right? Um, and I got a t-shirt, and it was an adult-sized medium, right? It was black with the D.A.R.E. logo across the top. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, I still own that shirt. I still wear that shirt. Because when I was in fifth grade, it was massive. But now it fits. And I tell you, it is the most comfortable shirt I have because it's been through so much. And I call it holy because it's holy. Um, and, but I, and my wife doesn't like that shirt. Uh, anyway, that means nothing to the sermon. Otherwise, except that um, when I was taught in fifth grade, I was taught that drug addicts were criminals and bad people and I shouldn't associate with them, right? So when we think about addiction, what's the kind of mindset we have, right? Drug addicts are someone we kind of keep at a distance because we don't understand them and they have totally different habits, totally different mindset, totally different priorities. And so when we think of addiction, we think of those people, right? Let's harken our minds back to last week's sermon, okay? Do we have any prejudice in our minds and our hearts? Okay, so we might need to repent of that before we get any further this morning, right? Now, I had to do some research because let's be honest, I'm not, um, I have never really hung out with addicts, okay, of any kind. I've done some street ministry a little, okay, and I've had some folks um, that have been alcoholics that I've known and we've hung out, we've talked, but I've not like, I've not just immersed myself in the population of addiction, okay? I had to do some research. I wasn't really sure what the word addiction meant. Like I understood what society tells me, but I really wanted to know what the word addiction meant. Oh man, it was fascinating. When you dig into word parts, okay? And I'm a little bit of a geek, okay? So when you dig into word parts and you figure out what the word actually meant back in the olden days, 
and then you start to apply that to what the word means today. It's fascinating. So, okay, the word addict comes from two Latin parts, word parts, right? Um, and I'm not going to pronounce them for you. Please don't ask me. Okay, I'm just going to tell you what their English equivalent is. Okay. In, uh, the two word parts, to say and assign, right? And I thought, what? What? Is that happening? You're right. Yeah, you're with me. To say and assign. And I thought, how do we get a diction from that? Like, how, how does those two words get put together and become a diction in our language? Now, in the Greek, those two word parts get put together to the word addict, okay? Um, and I wondered what that meant. And so I, I followed the word train through history. Um, and what that basically means is um, you are saying that you are making yourself assigned to something. You are pledging yourself towards something. You are vowing that this is your thing. You are, um, I pledge allegiance to the whatever, right? So to be addicted to something, literally in its root form, means to pledge, assign, or devote yourselves completely to a thing or an activity, okay? And so in our modern world, we understand that physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you become devoted, become dependent on a substance to the point that stopping incurs adverse effects, right? Um, now, don't, don't say anything out loud, right? But have any of you ever struggled with an addiction and then you try and stop and you get cranky, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And it might be coffee, right? It might be sugar, and we don't realize some of the things that we get addicted to, right? And then suddenly you're like, I'm just not gonna eat this or do this or watch this show or have this habit anymore. And then your family's like, you are cranky. We just have some caffeine, man, because it's not good for the rest of us. And then suddenly you realize that headache that I have, it's because I'm not getting that thing that I'm used to. You are then chemically dependent. You have chemically assigned your body to be devoted to that thing, right? So addiction is a pretty big thing. And it might not even start off with the intent of. You might not start with the intent of, I want to assign myself, my devotion, my heart, my mind, my soul to this. You're just like, I like coffee, right? And so you drink coffee every now and again, right? This is my thing, okay? We're just being transparent. And then all of a sudden you don't drink coffee because you run out for a few days, right? And you have this headache that won't go away. And it doesn't matter if you take Tylenol or ibuprofen or a nap because that headache is like, Whoa. Well, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not the only one that gets the caffeine headache. Can't get an amen? amen. Thank you. Okay, you're making me feel lonely up here. Um, okay, and so, and then you get that cup of coffee and what's your first response? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, thank you, I'm not the only addict. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? But that's not good, let's be honest. You have devoted yourself and changed your chemical makeup to this kind of thing, right? We are all addicts. Let's just get this out of the water right now. It might not start with the intent of becoming addicted, but without self-control, you become wholly devoted to something. And you become wholly devoted to something that is not Christ. And that's where addiction becomes a problem. And it doesn't matter what the substance is. Um, 
We need to talk about this as a church, right? We have to ask ourselves the question, why is addiction important to talk about as a church? Why must we engage this discussion? Because it exists in this church, right? Coffee, yes, right? Um, Netflix, anybody? Everybody's silent, they're like, we don't want to say that. <laughs> Pastor, no, not, not Netflix. Don't take my Netflix, right? Okay. Um, social media, anybody? Right. And then you get to more serious things like alcohol, probably exists in this church. Drug addiction, probably exists in this church, right? The whole myriad of things we can be addicted to exist in this church. We have recovered addicts in this church, right? And so we must talk about this because any group of people that you gather is going to have someone that they know that has struggled or is struggling or someone that is struggling. And if the church does not offer Christ in the midst of struggle, what are we doing? Right? So we must talk about this. In fact, a good majority, if not all of us, struggle with addiction in some form. Illegal drugs, legal drugs, right? Tobacco, alcohol, TV, gambling, prescription drugs, Netflix binging. Oh, man, that's horrible. Does it ever amaze you how fast you can plow through a TV series? Right? Man. And then you run out of that show and you're like, what do I do now? What am I supposed to do with my life? Right? And then you find the next show. It's not good. It's not good. I'm being honest here with you. I'm on season 11 of something right now, and it's almost over. What am I going to do? I should probably read the Bible. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm a pastor, but I'm a real human being, right? I, I was so convicted by this sermon preparation. Oh, gosh. Okay, social media, yes, right? How about work? How about control? How about pleasing other people? Okay, there's a lot of things we can be addicted to, and it goes way beyond what we ever thought. But its root is the same issue, whether it's drugs or whether it's Netflix. Its root is the same issue, okay? And sometimes we want to exempt ourselves from this message about addiction because we think, I'm not one of those people, right? Those people that we first thought of when we thought of addiction? Not one of those people, Pastor. I don't have an addiction problem. Um, in, in uh, I don't even think I'm marked for this. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 through forward, okay? It says this. If you want to exempt yourself, here's God's word for you. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, right? So if we're talking about temptation, it's common. We've all struggled. And if you say, not my problem, I don't have that problem, that root of sin is not in my life, I will never struggle with this, take heed lest you fall, okay? Pride comes before a fall, right? So we must humbly say, not, I don't have this problem, but Lord, do I have this problem? 
And if I don't know if I have this problem, maybe I better ask just to be sure. Because God might reveal something that we might not otherwise think about our life. Uh, addiction has many forms. But all of them are flawed and misplaced worship. <coughs> addiction has many forms. But every single one of them is flawed and misplaced worship. See, it's not about the substance or the image or the action. It's about the devotion that you have and where you are directing that devotion. Um, in Scripture, it tells us we are to love the Lord with all of our heart and strength, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength, which basically is all of us, right? So our heart, it's like our emotional seat, right? Our soul, which is our spiritual Understanding and how we relate with Jesus, heart, soul, mind, our intellect, what we intellectually choose, right? We make a conscious choice, and our strength, what we allow our body to engage in, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. But according to the word addiction, you are wholly devoting yourselves to something else, which means if you are addicted to something, you are wholly devoting your heart, soul, mind, and strength to something other than Jesus Christ. Therefore, you are, according to scripture, an idolater. Worship, um, addiction, in its root sense, is flawed and misplaced worship. We are all worshipers. We are all seeking to devote, to devote ourselves to something. Every single one of us craves to be intimate with something, right? And so, when we're not quite sure where to put that, and we're seeking, we find something that fills our heart, soul, mind, and strength with pleasure. And if we can latch on to that and we like how it makes us feel, then we embrace that even further and then suddenly we become addicted. But Christ says there is only one good addiction and it's him. We are to worship him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, in the church, and this is one of the reasons we have to talk about this. In the church, we permit certain types of addictions and we shun other types of addictions. And not shun in like that we don't permit this in our uh, presence because it's a sin, but we're like, we don't even want these people around us kind of shunning, right? We talked last week about personal grace and distant grace, right? Um, and the church struggles in this area when it comes to addiction. So, in churches, we allow addiction when it's not visibly harmful and when it's socially acceptable. When it's not visibly harmful or socially acceptable, we're totally like, yeah, that's great. In fact, let's make fun of it. Let's make light of it, right? Let's enjoy and joke about our addiction because it's not an issue. Netflix binging, right? No big deal. I mean, if we were honest with ourselves, I had to do this this week. How many hours I spend on Netflix, you know, at night as I'm falling asleep, binging on a show, right? How many hours I read scripture or pray or talk to God? Okay. How much money I spend on coffee? How much money I give to God? We have to do this evaluation in our heart and our mind and our soul. We permit certain addictions in our culture. There are certain ways that our culture talks about wine, that our culture talks about social media, the current talks or talks about all kinds of things. And in the church, we're like, oh, isn't that great? Oh, isn't that funny? Oh, we, we even have church ministries that kind of gather around certain things. 
not necessarily our church, but many churches. And we enable addiction as Christians to things that are not giving glory to God. Yet at the same time, we uh, stick our hand out and shun other people. Oh, you've got an addiction? You're an alcoholic? Oh, we can't welcome you here. We don't know what to do with you. You struggle with pot or marijuana or that's the same thing or uh, meth or you know any one of the drugs that is out there you have an addiction but nobody knows it because you're high functioning and you come to church and you pretend that it's okay because you know that if you told someone I'm addicted to prescription painkillers they might not know what to say to you and so you just don't say anything because we keep life-threatening addictions at a distance and we wrap our arms around people that have socially acceptable addictions. We're like, hey, no big deal. But at the root of it, it's all the same, right? Everybody's searching for something. Uh, I want to ask a question. Why doesn't the church, and I'll say the church general, but maybe let's think this church specifically. Why doesn't this church have visible addicts in the seats? Why, why don't we have people in our seats that are really struggling with addiction? You ever, did you ever ask yourself that question? Why don't we have folks who come in the back row that are like completely inebriated? It's, it's, it's because we shun them. It's because we've offered them distant grace. It's because they know if they come, they're gonna get judged or treated with, hey, we love you, but not enough to actually speak into your life. We love you, but not enough to help you and offer you the grace that God has given us. We love you, and it's maybe not even because we're mean Christians, because we just don't know how to interact with people when they are so separated from how we are. Distant grace versus personal grace again. And our heart does not break for people who are addicts because they're not within our sphere, right? And so we must make them within our sphere of relationship. Uh, scripture tells us we're not supposed to fill our, uh, our bodies with wine, right? And people stand on that verse and say, don't be drunk. And that's a really good thing, right? We don't want to be inebriated, right? Because then you're under the control of alcohol and then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But I would say that about anything. Don't be under the control of Netflix. Don't be under the control of coffee. Don't be under the control of anything that you must devote yourselves to wholly. Some addictions have physical, relational, financial consequences. Others don't. But all of them have spiritual consequences. Um, and if you, no matter what your addiction is, if you miss it um, and you get a headache or you miss it and you get grumpy or you can't afford it this weekend, whatever, and you, you realize that you're cranky or grumpy or you have a headache, you've probably tapped at the root or the fruit of an addiction. Okay? And you need to recognize that's what it is, not pointing another shot of coffee. You're like, oh no, I need to ask for forgiveness because I'm addicted to something. The church has to talk about this because if we don't own our insignificant addictions and submit those to Jesus, we will never be able to experience the freeing grace that Jesus can offer us. And if we can't experience the freeing grace that Jesus offers us for our addictions, how will we ever be able to speak into 
the absolute hopelessness that people have when they are completely given over to something like alcohol or methamphetamines. But instead, as a church, we go, I don't even know if God can handle that because we feel we're not even sure if he can handle our stuff. We must allow God to work in our lives if we are going to enable God to speak the truth through us to other people. Amen? Right? Um, what's at risk? Well, um, if we don't talk about this, if we don't change our mindset about addiction, the life of our neighbor is at risk. Can I just put it that bluntly? We live in a community in an area in Southeast Alaska is ravaged by addiction. Yeah? Alcohol, drugs, okay? Pornography. These are all life-changing addictions. We must take a stand in the name of Jesus. We must, um, there's a great quote I ran across. Love without enabling, show mercy without excusing, and offer help without condescending. Thought that quote was great. I couldn't even come up with a better one. I just used it, okay? Love without enabling, show mercy without excusing, and offer help without condescending. We must be able to speak into the lives of those around us because if not, there are people that are going to continually submit their lives and their bodies and their souls to something that will eventually kill them and they will have never experienced the saving grace of Jesus to free them from that slavery and then enable them to live a life of holiness towards the Lord, right? If we do not love our neighbor who has addictions, who is going to? Who will offer them Jesus? Secondly, um, if you are a Christ follower and you have an addiction of any kind, um, your walk with Christ is in danger. Because if you are committing your life and your heart and your soul and your mind and your finances to something other than Jesus, that's flawed worship and idolatry, and God has something to say about that. He wants all of you, all of you, not some of you, not you on a Sunday morning, right? All of you, all the time. And that's not saying don't have a cup of coffee. But don't be driven by the drive for that. Okay? When you devote your heart, soul, mind, and strength to pursuing something other than Christ, you set yourselves against Christ. Illegal or socially acceptable neither brings glory to God or advances the kingdom in your heart or your city. It also affects your testimony. And I said this before, you can't proclaim the saving power of Jesus if you are enslaved willingly to something else. You can't serve two masters. Your words and your actions compete. So you speak to someone who has an addiction and you say, God is glorious and can save you from your sins. And yet at the same time, you are enslaving yourself towards something. And they see that. And they wonder, if there's no hope for you, there must not be any hope for me. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, and live a life of testimony with your words and your actions. So, what must we do? Um, receive personal grace. You need to own your addictions this morning. Pastor, I don't want to. I know, I didn't want to either. Right? I worked a lot with the Lord this week, and he, I didn't realize that I really, um, just being honest, I really really, really, really am addicted to Netflix. I'm not. There's so many great shows. I spend a quantity of time 
watching Netflix in the evening. It keeps me awake. Like you get in bed and you like turn the Netflix on and you know, that's not healthy. The Lord broke my heart over that this week. And so there needs to be some drastic changes in that area in my life. Because I want that more than I want relationship with God in nighttime. You know, when it came down to it, which app did I open at nighttime? The Bible app or the Netflix app? Which one did I use to numb my mind from the day so that I didn't have to think about the anxieties and the stresses, right? Which one could I zone out to so that I didn't have to like think too much as I fell asleep, right? Which one did I turn to for comfort, right? So that my heart could just kind of ease into sleep? Netflix, not a great thing. And the Lord convicted me of that. I should not be turning to a TV show to tune my mind out. I should be laying my heart and mind before Jesus, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength, and allowing him to speak to me in those areas. That, we need to own our own addictions. We need to confess it and receive grace from God. And I would go even further. You need to share the addiction that you have with someone who is a Christ follower that you trust. Because if you don't say it out loud and say, this is a problem for me, then it's never going to change because there's no accountability. So when you are praying today and responding in worship today and you realize, yeah, the Lord is kind of poking something and I'm a little uncomfortable with him poking it, it's probably because it's an addiction or the beginning of one. And then you need to turn to your neighbor or your spouse or your friend and you need to go, I think the Lord is showing me that I have a problem here. Will you pray with me about this? Will you just check in on me every now and again? And guess what? I just told you all that I struggle with Netflix, so therefore any one of you now can now ask me, right? There you go. That's how it is. I started, I started it. If anybody else wants to jump in on that, that gravy train with me, go for it. Then you need to give personal grace to those who are addicted. And it starts just by hearing their story. Okay? Listen to where they are. Listen to what they're struggling with. Don't jump to give them answers. Don't try and like understand if you've never been in their shoes. Just listen to them and see them as a child of God who's completely gone astray, who is in desperate need of the grace that you were in desperate need of and still are. Right? Common ground. We all need Jesus. And then encourage them to take baby steps in the right direction. Grab their hand and walk with them and speak love into their life and speak hope into their life. And to speak love and hope into the life of addicts, finding that common ground, the good news you can tell them is this. There is hope for every addict in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Right? It doesn't matter what the addiction is. There's hope for me with my Netflix problem. Right? There is hope for people who have meth addiction. There is hope for people who are alcoholics. There is hope for people who can't whatever. Right? There is hope for people who have addiction. And the church must call addiction in any form what it is a sin, right? So what would it look like if the church spoke about addiction in such a way that it could offer hope to everybody who had addiction? What would the church look like? How would it be different than it is right now? Um, 1 Corinthians 14. It's been one of my favorite verses for a long time. It's one of those verses that like, I find and I read and I'm like, yes! 
and then I can never find it again. It's one of the references I always forget to write down, right? And uh, seriously, for like 10 years, I keep running across this going, I need to write that down, and I never do, and I finally did this week, so, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 14, it's talking about the church gathering together and, um, and, and, and speaking uh, as a church together. Therefore, if the whole church gathers together and speaks in tongues, outsiders and unbelievers will enter and they'll be like, are you out of your minds? That's in there. Are you out of your minds? I.e., if the church gathers together and puts on their nice church face and only says, you know, nice things and things that are going on, talks in church ease, right? Christian ease. Outsiders are going to come in and like, I don't understand how I fit in here. Addicts are going to be like, I don't know if this is a place for me. But if you all prophecy, and that means if you all speak the truth, it doesn't mean if you all tell what's happening in the future. If you all speak the truth about your life and an unbeliever or outsider enters and is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed and he will fall on his face and worship God and declare that God is really here among you. What if we as a church lived in such a transparent and open way that when we gathered together, there were pockets of us saying, you know, this week I was really struggling with such and such. And then when someone heard that, they said, let me pray with you right now so that the glory of God may be manifest in your life and you wouldn't struggle with that this week. And an unbeliever came in and said, oh my gosh, someone confessed their sin and someone else prayed for them and there was no judgment. And I struggle with that. Maybe they could do that for me. And maybe my life will become more like God. And maybe I will give my heart to God because there's no judgment here. There's only love and support here. That's what scripture says the church should be like, right? What if the church looked like that? Non-believers would fall on their face and confess that Christ is Lord. Is not that what we exist to do as a church, right? But it starts with us being transparent about our own struggles. And then even beyond that, the church, this church, our church, right? We should offer small groups that aid people who have addictions. Do you know there's some great curriculum out there that's Christian-based that we could offer? It's called Celebrate Recovery, one of the best ones. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've experienced it. Fantastic. Hurts, hang-ups, and habits. It's not just about addictions to drugs. It's about things that we've gone through in our life that have hurt us and that set a negative pattern of thinking or a negative cycle of habits, right? What if we offered that? How many people in our community do you think would come and receive grace, right? We could do that because I bet if we just started it with people in our congregation, there are a lot of us that would say, I have a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up that I need Christ to intervene in. And then once we've gained some tools and some ways to talk, we can then go out into the community and engage people bring them here or to our house and lead more of those groups and lead more people to Jesus. And then suddenly we would have people who still have addictions, who are sitting in our church, who might come inebriated, who might come high on whatever, but they go, Jesus has something for me and I'm a work in progress and sanctification is working in my life, but I am slowly but surely taking one step closer to God every day and I trust that he can heal me. That's what the church could look like. And if we aren't addicted to things, then our resources and our time are going to be redeemed from pursuits that aren't worthy to pursuits that are worthy. Like, what if you weren't addicted to gambling and all that money that you spent there 
went to pay your debts off, and then once you weren't addicted to gambling and you weren't in debt, think of what you could do for the kingdom of God. Okay? And if you are addicted to, I don't know, tobacco or alcohol or whatever it is that costs money, right? What if you no longer had to pay that addiction and you could give that money towards buying backpacks or building an orphanage in Zimbabwe or um, uh, tithing for the first time or buying groceries for your neighbor who needs it, right? Um, the kingdom of God would be made manifest among people who were once enslaved but have been set free by the Son of God. Scripture tells us if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, right? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's something that you really have to wrestle with because sometimes we act like we don't believe it. We don't necessarily believe that Christ can set you free from but the truth of Scripture says he can set you free because there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not powers, nor demons, nor angels, nor heights, nor depths, nor rulers, nor kingdoms, nor life, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God. If Christ has set you free, then you are free indeed. And the good news is found in Hebrews chapter 4. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So we need to hold fast to our confession because we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He has, in every respect, been tempted as we are, but he did it without sin. Therefore, we are to draw near the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. That same thought continues in Hebrews 10. Since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a priest, a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, right? He is faithful. So then, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God can free you from your addiction, amen? amen? Right? You need to confess your addiction to the Lord to receive that freedom. He's not going to rip it out of your hands. He wants you to willingly lay it on the altar, right? He wants you to willingly give up whatever it is that you are addicted to. And if you don't know if you have an addiction, ask him, and he'll show you. He's great like that, okay? Receive personal grace and be freed from it. And then ask for an immense amount of grace to go out and encourage other people to do the same. Going to close in prayer. We're going to worship with one song. This is the opportunity that you have to respond to what you have heard in the word of God this morning. 
The altar is always open to come and pray. And I will say this, if you come and pray, you're not saying to everybody else, I'm a horrible addict. But maybe you are, and who cares, right? Because this is the place, right? That you come to receive grace before the throne of God, that you say, I need some help, or maybe I'm praying to help someone else. And nobody is gonna judge you for coming forward and if they are judging you, then they need to come forward and repent of judging you, right? Okay? Because this is a safe place where we can confess our sin and encourage one another. So this is the time that you can come forward and receive grace, ask for grace, forgive your sin, pray for the people in your life that are addicts, right? And we've got one song to respond to the Lord this morning. Father, your word tells us that you are big bigger than addictions, bigger than the situations we think we can't overcome, bigger than the troubles in this world. Your love is higher and deeper and wider than we could ever imagine. And this morning, Lord, we lay our hearts before you with a really big topic. And we ask that you would reveal areas in our hearts that we are addicted to things that are not you. Scripture calls us to fall in love with you again to remember our first love and to set aside those false loves. Nothing in this world can ever compete with what you can offer us, Father. May our hearts be turned towards you. May our affections be turned towards you. May our minds be turned towards you. May our strength be turned towards you. May our soul be turned towards you. May we receive grace for the ways that we have sinned. And Lord, this morning, we pray a special prayer we pray the shed blood of Jesus over those that are struggling with life-threatening addictions. For those that are wrapped in a world of illicit drugs and pornography and gambling. For addictions that are ripping families apart. For addictions that are threatening lives and whispering there is no hope into people's minds and hearts. We pray that you would break the bonds of that, that you would break the chains of that, that there would be no more addiction in Southeast Alaska, Father. Amen. That no more families would be broken, no more children would be abused, no more lives would be lost because of the cycle of suicide and the depth of darkness that occurs because of addiction. We pray that you would draw people towards Christ and in the darkest, deepest moments when addicts think there is no hope, we know you can speak into their minds in those moments. And we ask that you would do that right now because we know right now people are struggling. So Lord, as we sing, as we worship, we pray for ourselves and we intercede for others. And we give you all the glory and all the honor because it is yours and yours alone. We worship you this morning, Father, and nothing else. In your name we pray.